When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Maureen in New Zealand, good morning to you. 9.03 here on SENZ in the mornings as we head through to uh, midday the next three hours. We shall have for you some um, women's rugby. We're going to go to Daniel Gallen. He's a correspondent for The Guardian in the UK, uh, and uh, he writes uh, exclusively on the Women's Six Nations Rugby Competition. And out of that, at this stage, will come the World Cup winner, you would be thinking. Uh, Lisa Carrington's coach, Gordon Walker, at uh, just after 9.30 this morning. That great matchup uh, between uh, Lisa and Amy Fisher, which is going to take its uh, final chapter tomorrow down there at Lake Carapiro and uh, the eyes of the uh, canoeing world are on it apparently it's just uh, attracted so much attention uh, basketball of course uh, tomorrow night the NBL starts in New Zealand uh, and that is uh, the Nelson Giants hosting the SENZ Otago Nuggets uh, we're going to speak to uh, one of the Nuggets superstars and Sam Timmons just after 10 o'clock panel with Ollie Ritchie and Sam Ackerman around 10.20 uh, and after 11 o'clock we're going to be talking to Bruce Young yes the boys in breakfast have been talking golf this morning uh, I'm also going to focus in on this and what it might mean to golf uh, going forward in the future. Pretty busy show, and, and also uh, don't forget we've got a Bailey's property to talk about uh, between 11 and 12 as well. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, I remember back in 2007 when the Board of Control for Cricket in India, otherwise known as the BCCI, came up with this new concept for a competition. It was called the Indian Premier League, or the IPL, as we know it. Revolutionary buckets of cash attracting some of the biggest names in the game, old and new, keeping the old ones in the game, providing lovely big super schemes, and for the young, early riches for three hours' work a day, every few days. Couldn't last, said the doomsayer merchants, me included. You can't take on cricket's authorities, the MCC, the ICC, and win, old boy. Rebels don't last in our game. It's just a passing fad. Wrong. It's stronger than ever. 15 years down the track, players are still willing commodities up for auction, and for six to seven weeks a year, they fill the coffers. Everyone fills the coffers. An establishment has given up opposing and actually provides a prime window of opportunity in their calendar just to accommodate. They can't fight it. It just simply is too big. And now golf... The LIV is no longer in the wind, so look out. It's going to happen, and there are many similarities to its cricketing cousin. The most notable, 
it's cash. Cash, cash, and more cash. And it won't run out. The Saudis have wells full of it. Imagine playing a tournament where the winner gets $4 million and the last qualifier, $120,000 US. Bizarre. Some might say obscene. But the stars are aligning and signing. Mickelson, Garcia, Poulter and Westwood rumoured to be the marquee brigade. More will follow. The tournaments will have no history, no majors, no jackets, bugger all status initially anyway, just wads and wads of glorious cash for those who don't need it but still want it. Mickelson, for one, has earned over $90 million on the course, squillions more in endorsements over the years off the course, and that's out of the PGA. He doesn't need a dime, but he's a rebel. He likes to buck the trend, upset authority. The perfect scenario for the world's best lefty who may well play the Pied Piper here in this new competition. Watch this space. LIV or 54. Don't ever write it off. Well, there's uh, been plenty of focus on our women's rugby team in New Zealand. In fact, it's uh, caught the headlines, hasn't it, for the wrong reasons. But now it seems we may be on track with Wayne Smith at the helm, uh, and at least we have uh, a coaching team and a structure pointing forward. But England and France, two teams, uh, they've really flourished in the last couple of years, particularly in their Six Nations competition. Uh, And it's time now to uh, speak uh, to Daniel Gallen, freelance reporter over there in the UK, has been following the two sides closely. I uh, thought it might be good to hear the thoughts of someone who really has his finger on the pulse of the two favourites going into the World Cup here in New Zealand later in the year. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, really cool. And thanks so much for your time, uh, evening your time in particular. Um, I, I would imagine um, you've kept a little bit of an eye on what's been happening in, in uh, our side of things. We've finally got a, a, a head coach going forward. Uh, this is a head coach, even though he's well-known to rugby, has had really no involvement with women's rugby and has to introduce himself to the players uh, six months out from the tournament. So uh, we don't appear to be on track as well as your side's up there. Well, it's interesting what you say about about New Zealand. I mean, and, you know, unfortunately, things have to sort of go bad before they went better. Um, but speaking to England's coach, Simon Middleton, um, this past week before the Ireland game, he was saying that, that all the all the coaching knowledge and, and coaching expertise in the men's game doesn't necessarily translate when when crossing over to the women's game. Yes, technicalities, scrums, lineups, etc. That all helps. But the the one key point of difference that some said was the the way that the messages are delivered. Um, and we saw this weekend when England were pretty rubbish against a, an amateur island team in the first half. And they came out in the second half and they just clicked. And, and the, in my my, half, in my my full-time report, I said that, well, they must have, he must have given them a bollocking, essentially. Um, and he said no, um, because you, you, you can't really do that with the women's uh, players. So it'd be interesting to see how the New Zealanders go. But yeah, England looking really, really strong. They are uh, looking really strong. Now, this is not a fluke, though. This has been, um, this has been planning um, over a long period of time. I mean, the most professional, I would imagine. Would they be the most professional alongside France in the women's game in terms of their setup, their structures? Certainly the most professional. They've been professional since um, 2018. And it, it, just, it just really shows. I mean, these players, 
live and breathe rugby, as, as any professional rugby player around the world, men or women, sh- should do. Um, some of the island players, for example, finished the game on, on Sunday and went to, went to work on the Monday. I mean, they've got, they got no chance mm. of competing at the elite level. So, yeah, I mean, this is what happens when, you, when a union throws their full weight behind, behind a women's team. They, you start seeing results, the uh, rest and recovery, which is such a crucial component of, of being an elite athlete. Uh, really pays dividends. Yeah, I, I mean, it's absolutely no surprise that England are head, shoulders, and, and waist height above everyone else. I mean, I, you said at the top of the show that that France are, are joint favourites. I, I would be astounded if, if France finished within 15 to 20 points of, of England this, this coming weekend. Yeah, that's the big one, isn't it, this weekend? I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I watched France play Wales over the weekend. Um, they've got their obvious strengths as well. Uh, the Welsh, I suppose, are pretty much in the same boat as the Irish in terms of professionalism. But, yeah, I mean, uh, if you look at the points table, uh, and I have, um, England is so superior in terms of points for and against. In fact, I think they've only conceded 10 points in the whole competition this far. So defensively, very, very strong. Yeah, uh, first, though, I've only conceded one more try. Um, so I, I guess that'll be something to cling to. And, and like like all French teams, they've got a... They've got a really, really uh, a good scrum off uh, Lars Santos. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Apologies if, if I'm not. Uh, Le Petit General, just like the, the men's side. So they, they've got something to work with. I just think that, that when it comes to that, that raw strength, that more set-piece, dominance of the ruck, um, you know, physicality around the fringes, that, that's sort of where England bully teams. And, and I just don't see France living with that. But... Yes, they're in the mix. They'll be in front of a home crowd. Um, the most recent matches between England and France have been tight. I think there was only a, a, a cumulative 13 or 14 points across the two most recent recent games. So they've got something to cling to. I just think that the way England have, have sort of geared up for this coming World Cup, the way Middleton is talking, um, the way Sarah Hunter, who, who will be unavailable this weekend, the captain, um, is conveying her message. I mean, Helena Rowland, who played at 15, but is a 10. Uh, Zoe Harrison, Emily Scarrett at 13, who played 100 cap. There's just, there's just so many good players. They sort of have two world-class players in every position. That it, it's, I, 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 Like I said, I'd be amazed if, if it was a contest come, come the 80. Wow. Okay, right. Let's uh, look at just how professional... England are then, uh, Daniel, if we can. I mean, uh, you mm. have a, a, a male, Simon Middleton, as a head coach. Uh, what are we talking, what kind of, would you have any idea of a, of a budget or even even a, if I look at the top played play, play players, uh, would you have any idea of ballpark figures of what they're on? That's a, that's a, that's a great question, Ian, and I, I, I wish I knew you were going to ask me that. I, I don't have those figures to hand, and, and uh, I, I'd be making it up. Look, it's obviously nowhere near... Um, the men's team, this this recent match that they played at, um, at Franklin Gardens in Leicester uh, was a was a record crowd for a Red Roses game, and that was eighteen thousand people. Obviously, we know how many Twickenham holds. Um, so they they're not they're not pulling the same commercial um, revenue that, that that the men's side on, and I think that is probably commensurate to to what they earn. But they are fully professional. They 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 don't need second jobs the way. A lot of other teams, players have to have. I mean, Wales uh, aren't, aren't quite fully professional. But they've got half a squad that is fully professional, but the rest are on a, on a retainer of sort. I think, I think that's how France do it. France are a little, 
a little murky with the way they do things, but I don't think they are fully professional like England. But the point is that England are. And, and as a consequence, they go to training. That's it. They, they don't have to then worry about selling cars like Sarah Hunter used to do or, or going and working as a plumber as, as, as Marley Packer used to do. Um, all they have to do is worry about rugby. They can, they can train, they can rest, they can recover. They've got nutritionists. They've got, phys- they've got physio programs. And, yeah, this is, this is why when, when, when they when come game day, they're just that much better. Daniel, there's uh, one of the big issues over here has been the culture within our Black Ferns team. And, and we had, um, uh, of course, a, a male head coach um, who uh, just didn't seem to fit the mix, apparently, towards the end of it. It just wasn't a, a, a really good environment. So uh, we got rid of him, we replaced him with Wayne Smith, um, who's probably New Zealand's most modern-day strategist in terms of the male game heading across to uh, women's rugby all of a sudden. Interested to hear your comments from Simon Middleton. What about the presence, though, of head coaches or senior coaches within the mixes of women's rugby in the UK? Is it, is it still very much a male-dominated area? It, it is. And, and you look at the way that um, Simon's assistant coaches, uh, Scott Bannon, the, uh, uh, the, the skills and backline coach, uh, Lewis Deacon, the, the, the forwards coach, obviously well-respected uh, coaches and players came, from, came through the... Uh, the Leicester system, but yes, it, it, is, it is quite male-dominant. Uh, uh, I think what we'll start to see is that when this generation of, of, of players retires, the likes of Sarah Hunter, Emily Scarrett has said that she'd like to get into coaching. Um, Marley Packer has, has told me that, that, that she'd like to get into coaching at, at one stage. Locke Davies um, in the front row. Uh, the way she speaks is very technical and her expertise would certainly be, be beneficial. But yes, it, it, it is it is mostly male. Um, once again, I don't have the exact list to hand, but I think across the Premier 15s, which is a professional competition, most of the coaches, if not all of the head coaches, are male. Um, but I, but I think that that's more of a generational thing. As these male coaches were bred in a in a, in a professional system for for the men. I think after generation, we'll start to see a few more uh, female coaches who are well versed in the technicalities, who who have to eat, breathe, and sleep rugby, which obviously is required to be a professional coach. So I think, I think it's just a matter of time. But um, until other nations follow suit, we, we will see the same male dominance in the coaching departments. Except for France, of course. France's uh, head coach, uh, Annick Hador, yeah, has, has, a, has got a magnificent background. Uh, I mean, she's an exceptional woman with uh, just 54 years of age now, 35 years in the women's game, 65 caps for France. And um, mm-hmm. an inspirational uh, head coach. Yeah, and you know it's 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 funny. You know, I guess I guess the stereotypes of, of French male rugby apply, applies to the uh, to the women's game as well. You get, you, get, you get a dynamic coach who gets them pulling in the same direction. Uh, you, you you get a, a, a live wire scrum off who kind of pulls the strings, and you get a, a really composed ten who who can, who can feed off that energy, which they have in in, in uh, Jesse Tremelier. And yeah, it's 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 a winning formula. I I I just I just do worry um, that I think that that their development is is maybe we're in the we're in the middle of a cycle. I think this this World Cup maybe comes a year too soon. But hey, you know they they are certainly clicking. And and as you say, uh, well respected uh, coach 
uh, in in Anik. And um, yeah, I, I I would like to be wrong, but I just having seen uh, both sides play and the way that that both sides have dismantled their respective opponents, um, I I do think that this World Cup coming up in six months is probably just a little too soon. Okay, well, is it if it's too soon for France? Is it too soon for New Zealand, in your opinion? Because, of course, we visited the, the UK last year. Uh, we had four test matches. We weren't even close in all four of them. Um, is it possible? You know the strength of England. You, you saw those games. You saw the margins. I just wonder, could we close that gap in the next six months? Is it at all possible, do you think? I mean, the short answer is no. Um, I, I, I don't think so. I, I, was, I was at that first game, and I think for the first 10 or 15 minutes, uh, where was it? That was in Northampton, I think it was. Um, in the first 10 to 15 minutes, New Zealand were on top. They, they were stringing some passes together. Their, their, their kicking game was strong. England sort of couldn't get out of their own, not quite 22, but they couldn't quite get out of their own, their own half. And then it just, it just seemed like a fitter team was playing against a, a, a less fit team. And yes, of course, we now know that, that there was a culture problem within New Zealand and we don't know what was on the, what was on the mind of the players, but six months is, is not a long time. As you can hear from my accent, I'm, I'm South African and Rusty Erasmus just about turns it around in what was it, 18 months with, with South Africa. Mm. Six months really is not a long time. Um, but as, as you said before, I mean, if, if anyone can do it, it's, it's, it's this brains trust that, that New Zealand have assembled. They, they, they clearly have recognized that change was needed. Um, but again, it just it just does come down to the fact that uh, how many of those New Zealand players are doing nothing else but playing rugby. If if, if mm. even a handful of of the pack or a handful of the backline are doing something else in their week when they aren't recovering or training or resting or, or, or poring over strategy, well, that immediately puts them at a disadvantage. And, and Ireland just I beg your pardon, England don't have to worry about that. So. Uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I, I think six months is probably too soon for New Zealand as well. It's interesting, Daniel, because uh, you know you talk about infrastructure and you talk about that. You talk about a 15s competition, which you know on a regular. How many games? Okay, your, your top-flight English players outside of international rugby. How much 15s rugby would they actually play in a calendar year? Well, there's ten, there's ten teams. Um, they 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 play each other. Uh, and all, all those, all the, all the England women are, are, are rubbing shoulders with them. So, I mean, one, one of the, the major advantages of, of having the premise of scenes is that you're not just getting the, the England women competing against each other themselves, cutting their teeth in, in, a, in a highly competitive competition, but that next generation at Saracens, at Loughborough Lightning, for, uh, you know, the, the, the two, two primary teams um, out of the top, Bristol, of course, doing really well. Um, you have you have these youngsters coming through who who yes they might not be fully professional even the ones who are 28 29 who, who can't quite break into the English team they might not be fully professional but they're playing alongside fully professional players are captained by fully professional players who who are who are in and amongst the England system so that's just raised the standard um, since its inauguration and. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a strong competition. I mean, I guess it's, it is still fighting for relevancy. It doesn't get much traction here in, in, in the press and um, online. Match reports are, are, are quite hard to come by. I mean, I, I primarily write for The Guardian. Um, mm. We certainly don't cover it outside of the finals. But 
people are starting to talk about it more. I, I, I guess as a consequence of of England's dominance, but but also because the standard is starting to be raised because of the the proliferation of of, of England players with, throughout the competition. Mm. Very interesting, actually. Um, really good to catch up with you. Um, I, incidentally, if if they played tomorrow, on what you've seen. How would New Zealand go against, say, Ireland and Wales? Mm, that's a good question. I think Ireland did, Ireland did quite well. From what I saw um, in November, was it when when New Zealand were here? I think I think they would be tight games, which which is rather shocking given how how strong New Zealand were a few years ago. Um, if the game was played tomorrow, that's a good question. You know, I, I think they'd be tight. I think they'd be tight. I, I don't think they'd beat France. Um, I, I would probably just have New Zealand beating one of them but losing to the other. Who that would be, I, I don't think I'll stick my neck out on uh, so far to say so. But yeah, I guess I guess when we when we look back, that is that is rather shocking. I mean, I'd be curious to hear from you, like how far New Zealand rugby has fallen in, in, in your eyes and the New Zealand public's eyes. Well, we don't know, Daniel. That's that's the thing, really. I mean, our, our last gauge, because of COVID, etc., our last really gauge is that tour to the UK, and that was the one that has prompted all this action down here. But as you say, can you close the gap in six months? And and even the uh, the most optimistic of of our people back home are starting to question that as well. Hey, Daniel, it's been absolutely brilliant getting your insight into a, a little bit more about just why we have fallen away. To be fair, because of the professionalism, particularly around that English team. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Uh, look forward to chatting again maybe in the future closer to the World Cup. That would be great. No worries. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah cheers. Uh, Daniel Gallen there, who is a freelance correspondent for the Guardian newspaper. Um, and one of his major focuses, of course, is um, England's women rugby, England w- women's rugby team, which is superb. Um, and you can see why. It's so professional, so well organised, so well backed uh, and so well supported. That, that that is their job, their lifeblood, and that, that it seems is now the benchmark for where we've got to go in this country. Bearing in mind, of course, we do have uh, women on contracts now, but very much as uh, a last-minute gasp, gasp, gasp effort, I think, to get us close. And there's a reality check, isn't it? He doesn't think we can do it. Incidentally, if you go back in time, um, and uh, New Zealand uh, beat England 67-0 at one stage, OK, it was... 25 years ago, but they beat England 67-0. New Zealand beat France 109-3. 109-3. And that was around about that same era. Boy, haven't things turned around a wee bit. 9.25 here on SENZ. Subjects for the day, well, you can talk about that if you like. Um, Could we close the gap? Are we clutching at straws in that regard? Or just going back onto the Warriors yesterday. Going back to the Warriors. Have you, can you remember any worse losses in New Zealand sporting history? 9.25 here on SENZ. Calls arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, coming up to the news with Araha, just uh, those subjects again, what you want to talk about. Uh, where are we uh, in terms of, um, uh, you believe, uh, can we close the gap on the uh, on the word of we just heard from Daniel Gallen? Can we close the gap in the next uh, six months? Any chance against England? He says no. Um, looking at it right now, 
take too long, take too long to, to bridge that margin. Uh, and on the Warriors loss yesterday, double eight, double three, or sorry, two days ago, have we uh, had a worse loss in New Zealand? Can you remember a worse loss? I'll give you a list of a cup of two or three that I can recall. 1955, New Zealand rolled for 26 in a game of Test cricket. Uh, the Bulls beaten, uh, beating the Chiefs 61-17 in the 2019 final. Chiefs coached by Ian Foster. Uh, All Whites losing to New Caledonia 2-0 just after our post-World Cup heroics. Uh, there are plenty of them. Uh, what about the, the big choke? 8-1 up against Oracle in the America's Cup 2013. Lost eight in a row, lost 9-8. Uh, what about in your mind? Have you got any? Double eight, double three, oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Yep, here's Ottawa with the news. SCNZ very shortly. I uh, hope to be joined by uh, the coach of Lisa Carrington, of course, Gordon Walker. Uh, they've got a hell of a competition going on down there tomorrow in the crunch race between here and Amy Fisher and the K one five hundred to decide who's going to go to the World Championships um, in uh, Canada. Uh, coming out tomorrow. That is a cutthroat thing. Rem- uh, memories, doesn't it, of uh, Waddell um, against Drysdale when our two, perhaps the two greatest in the world, couldn't both go to the world champs, um, ironically, and we had to leave one of our world champions, one of our Olympic uh, champions at home. So uh, some texts that have uh, come in. Uh, G'day, Smithy. Have heard rumours that uh, contracted Black Ferns aren't allowed to play in any club rugby this season in the lead-up to the World Cup. Uh, not playing doesn't seem like a good formula. Deja vu to 2007 when the men were underdone. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Daniel Gallon was saying that you know, they got that 15s competition uh, where 10 teams play, so they effectively play 18 games of 15 aside rugby, which would be a dream, an absolute dream uh, for our leading players. But if they're not allowed to play anyway, uh, what difference would it make? So it's a little bit concerning, James. Thanks very much for, for your text there. But we do have a history of um, sheltering players or making sure that uh, nothing untoward happens to them um, and leading up to big events. We've done it uh, you know, for years in the men's game as well um, and uh, only really use those uh, subsidiary competitions for players recovering from injury, to be honest. Uh, Smithy, New Zealand Ice Blacks in 1987 versus Australia lost 58-0. 58-0. Uh, the report card read, New Zealand showed potential. Oh, Jerry, great story. Fantastic. So the, yes, we, we missed the boat with the women's rugby. Should have put money up a lot earlier. I've woken up now. Let's hope they uh, have woken the giant. And on the Warriors, forget calling them New Zealand Warriors. They can't even sing the national anthem. Mm. Uh, and that, of course, is Dave from Karaka. Dave, nice to hear from you again. So very interesting. Uh, we'll take a short break now, and hopefully after that, we'll get to Gordon Walker. Well, you you know uh, Dame Lisa so well. I mean, you you know her her strengths, her her weaknesses, um, the timing of when it's uh, appropriate for her to peak, etc. Where is she? Do you think in terms of her maximum effort at the moment? Close, yeah, close. But um, it's, it's it's quite hard to tell because normally we're, we're April now, and normally in, in April we'd be doing quite different things. And our nationals is only in February. Um, and then the world champs is in, in August, obviously. So um, in terms of her peak August condition, um, it's hard to say because we don't normally do this type of thing in April, um, and then the water conditions are different. So I would I would say that there's, yeah, there's a wee bit to go for Lisa to be at a level where she would be, um, you know, where she was at in, in um, Tokyo, for example. 
Gordon, uh, the other thing which makes it interesting, as you say, this is quite unusual for this time of the year. It's almost a, a double peak situation in the space of, um, well, it's come to that really because of the need uh, to be very, very good at the moment. Um, you've got a double peak, haven't you? Because August's not that far away. No, that's right. Yeah, so that's right. So this year has been uh, quite interesting, really, in terms of the build-up, and and certainly the most the most different in terms of our physical preparation to any other year or any other year that I've coached Lisa for sure. Um, because after the Olympics, we we did have quite a quite a long break, and and that was needed because because of the five-year build-up to Tokyo. So yeah, having a long break then, and then also this kind of um, need to have a double peak and particularly that this peak having to be higher than what it might normally have needed to be at nationals. So mm. certainly presents a different um, set of physical circumstances for, for the year compared to what we have previously done. And um, I'm not too sure how that, I don't think that will negatively affect anyone's chances at world champs, but certainly puts a lot more pressure on early on in the year. In particular for uh, Lisa, she's guaranteed already to go to the world champs because uh, she had an incredible... Um, uh, K1 200 where she knocked three seconds off her heat time which was uh, just a, we, we shouldn't be surprised when it comes to Lisa Carrington actually but it's quite a staggering amount but um, so she's guaranteed the K1 200 uh, anything else we're so used to seeing her in the boat in a number of disciplines yeah so um, guaranteed for not quite the right word just yet so she still actually has to be selected but she's done the performances required right. but then there's still a, a rubber stamping process that needs to go on um, but Lisa's also got, so we have the, the trial race tomorrow, which is at around 10 o'clock. And then after that, we begin the K2 trials, which Lisa's also a part of, and the K4 trials. So we're hoping to put together a K2 um, out of the out of the, the women's team. Um, and we'll begin that process on Thursday. So she begins that, you know, about three hours later. So um, busy next three days for her. So hopefully we can put together a, a K2 and then... Um, K4 as well to take to the world champs in Canada this year. Busy time, Gordon, uh, not just for the elite though, but uh, those coming through. Uh, I was reading an article this morning about uh, some of our uh, young um, kayakers here in New Zealand, actually. Uh, uh, sorry, in Hawke's Bay, actually, uh, taking part in the secondary schools, champs, etc. Uh, what about the strength, the depth uh, in the sport? Yeah, like it's been, I guess one of the things that was um, really stood out to me on the weekend's racing was, well, one, the crowd that came down to watch, which was really cool because there were non-kayakers there, which was a different thing for us. Um, but then also the, the young the young kids, especially the young girls, and I was watching an under-16 K4 race, and there were you know, eight K4s all paddling pretty well, which is just such a new thing for, for New Zealand. So amazing to see the depth in the young kids and then... I guess the other area where I feel like we've got some real depth is in the men's program. We've got um, eight to ten in the men's high-performance squad, and on any given day, you know, any one of those guys could, could come out on top. So um, it's just yeah, very, very exciting for the men's program to have depth because depth just it really, really creates um, you know like a snowball momentum effect of performance. So. I'm really excited to see what we can do when it comes to the World Cups and World Champs for the men's program, K2, K4 and K1s. There's some yeah, exciting young guys coming through. Very cool. So uh, just finally, tomorrow afternoon, uh, that's uh, the big one. So we will find out um, who will go and represent us in the K1 5000. So that's uh, 
Amy Fisher and uh, Lisa Carrington. Do you sense um, uh, with uh, the close competition, do you, do you sense Lisa's got something special? You know her so well for the big occasion. I mean, I think what, what everyone would like to see really is just both athletes turning up and um, and just keep rising to the occasion. I think what we're seeing is, uh, you know, that that the the situation is is getting more out of everybody, not just um, yeah, but particularly the two athletes that are on the on the start line. So, um, um, I, I you know I've definitely seen you know some growth in Lisa incredibly in the last you know three four five days, and, and I'm sure it'll be the same for Amy as well. So I guess what what we'd all like to see is each athlete being able to you know really really bring something special to the occasion and and make a great um, spectacle for for our best friend New Zealand to watch, which has been brilliant to see for you know for everybody. Yeah, well, it's great to see the sport getting uh, a lot of profile um, uh, and uh, at a time of the year when perhaps uh, it wouldn't be and it can only be good. Gordon, uh, thanks very much for your time this morning. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, cheers, Gordon Walker there, of course, uh, legendary coach of the legend in herself, Dame uh, Lisa Carrington, who has uh, got her work cut out, but it is Dame Lisa Carrington. And if you could put a market on it, I just think strength of character, etc., might just be enough for Lisa Carrington tomorrow. But this Amy Fisher, she seems to be a magnificent athlete in her own right. 9.53 here on SENZ, just time for a multi before 10 o'clock. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.58 here on SENZ, and normally Joey would have played a sting there, but don't worry, it's time for... It's just time for multi of the day. So uh, let's just reflect on yesterday's show and bask in glory. Dallas Mavericks beat Utah. Man City beat Real Madrid. And a thriller this morning and overnight, Rajasthan Royals beat Bangalore, of course. Uh, so that is uh, $4.30. Uh, in terms of today, let's uh, quickly go through it. Memphis Grizzlies to beat the Timberwolves at a buck thirty-seven. The Sunrisers Hyderabad to beat the Gujarat Titans tonight. At a buck dollar, uh, buck ninety-five. That's Kane Williamson's outfit, of course. And tomorrow in uh, Championship football in the UK, Middlesbrough to beat Cardiff at a buck fifty. That'll be a four-dollar return. So the Grizzlies into Sunrisers Hyderabad into Middlesbrough tomorrow morning for four-dollar return. Uh, we're going to move for uh, Bruce Young forward to uh, just after the news here to talk about this LIV fifty-four exactly what it is it and what kind of threat is it to the PGA and the RNA being the real bodies of world golf. Uh, Aroa with the news. 10 o'clock here, folks. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 10.03 here on SENZ, and uh, I talked about it uh, a little after 9 o'clock, about uh, the LIV 54. LIV, it's uh, Roman numerals for 54. Uh, It is the new golf circuit, which uh, is about to unfold, they say, anyway. And it's, uh, I I suppose it's fronted by Greg Norman. We've seen all the headlines uh, on this part of the world as well uh, about who might play, who they might lure uh, into the fold take away from the uh, the PGA and the RNA, of course, the governing bodies of golf, um, or are they? That's the question uh, we need to ask, and uh, there's plenty of questions about it. So we've got Bruce Young, of course, uh, 
uh, golf expert um, who's been uh, corresponding with us here in New Zealand uh, over a number of years with uh, updates on tournaments, etc. But this is something just a little bit different. Bruce, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, Smithy. Yeah, good to talk to you. Yeah, look, uh, I sort of drew a parallel this morning, uh, Bruce, with the IPL. Remember, it was way back uh, when Indian cricket said, uh, we've got something that uh, we think is going to be quite exciting and we're going to play it uh, come hello high water. And the, and the world of cricket said, well, you might, uh, but it's not going <laughs> to interrupt the normal program. You know, you, you might you might get a few players with a, with a few bickies. They'll be old guys who, you know, uh, look to cash in on the way out, but you won't, you won't get anyone new. Um, and, and it won't last. It simply won't last. You can't beat the authority, which is the MCC, the ICC. Well, we know where it is now, and I just drew a parallel about golf. Is, is this well, a possibility that this thing will get teeth? Well, it's an interesting parallel you drew, uh, drew actually, because not only the IPL, but I suppose the World Series of Cricket back in the day seemed so controversial mm. and radical at the time, but it, it really transformed cricket and... Uh, and changed the face of cricket and, and was so positive for it in so many ways. But there's so many things about this new concept that leave a lot uh, of questions unanswered. They're going to, it's starting to come to a head now because the PGA Tour, I think players that were going to commit themselves to the first of the events, which is in June in London, I think they have to uh, ask for a, um, an exemption from the PGA Tour for that event virtually as we speak. And they've got, and the PGA Tour have until May the tenth to give them a give them an exemption or otherwise. The PGA Tour, as you probably know, Smithy, is a my way or the highway sort of organisation. And whether they're going to allow um, some of the players, um, I know Robert Garrigas is one player who's just a journeyman pro on the PGA Tour. He's been a reasonable player. He's probably won a couple of tournaments. I know he. He, he did finish third in the U.S. Open one time, but uh, there are other players such as that have been mooted as potential starters, including the likes of Mickelson and Garcia and Ustazen and Westwood and uh, Ed Poulter. So, I mean, not other than Mickelson, not exactly the superstars of the game, but still highly uh, credentialed players. But whether the PGA Tour and indeed uh, the DP World Tour, as we now know it, um, funnily enough, uh, sponsored by a Dubai company, and there's some, probably some parallels between Saudi and Dubai in some respects. But um, whether they're going to allow this to happen remains to be seen, but it's certainly coming to a head now. But when you consider the money that's been put up for this thing, they're talking about $250 million, the first eight events um, with a $4 million first prize, uh, and you compare that to the 2.7 million US that uh, Scotty Scheffler won when he won the Masters. There's some serious money floating around. But whether eventually the Saudi organisation will get jack of it if they feel that it's not coming together as quickly as Greg Norman. Now, you mentioned that he funded it. Well, it's really the Saudi money that's funding it. But whether they start to get jack of it after a while and say this is just too much money that we're wasting with little in the way of results remains to be seen but uh, it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next couple of weeks when those exemptions to a play at an event which runs opposite the Canadian Open and that's the week before the US Open in Massachusetts um, it is going to be a very fascinating situation yeah uh, I, actually I, I probably did say funded I meant he fronted at Greg Norman and, and he oh, has yeah, been... I, I might have misheard he, you he, I, I, I do, he, yeah uh, he, he has been the voice of it, and uh, not only that, of course, uh, he's had this uh, all of a sudden this epiphany that he wants to play in the uh, the Open Championship it, itself again. Now, 
Um, <laughs> as Greg guess, Greg's, Greg's ne- always quite like to be pretty much front and centre. Um, this is an interesting thing, even for him. Oh, absolutely. He's a larger-than-life character, quite controversial in his own way, as you know, over many years. I think there's a deep-seated um, grudge against the PGA Tour because they wouldn't run with his World Tour concept many years ago, and I think that's been lingering in the back of his mind for quite some time. And when this opportunity came to be the front for the uh, the Louvre uh, Tour, as they call it, then I think it was an opportunity too good for him to uh, resist. But in terms of the the Open Championship, well... As you know, the guidelines suggest that you have to be under 60. If you're a previous winner, you can get exemptions through until the age of 60. But from there on, you have you would have to rely on a very, very special exemption from the RNA. And given current circumstances with Greg Norman, you'd have to say that's probably marginal. They're going to do him any great favours at the moment. One thing, one thing I will add in is that one of the benefits for the other tours that, that this has brought about... And a very good example comes here in Australia. The Australian PGA announced uh, late last year, that, or early this year, that this is now a new strategic alliance with the DP World Tour, which is essentially the European Tour. They're now starting to put more money into tournaments worldwide to in some ways counter some of this um, thrust from uh, Norman and uh, the Saudis. And And a very good example is the Australian PGA Championship, which later this year will be worth twice the money that it was worth at the beginning of this year, it'll be worth $2 million because of this supposed strategic alliance be- between tours such as the PGA Tour, Australasia, and the European Tour. So in a very funny roundabout way, there are some sp- spin-off benefits for the other tours because of um, the uh, potential competition that the Live Tour may provide, may, and I say may, uh, uh, that's probably the best way to describe that, may. Well, you mentioned the, the prize money, and uh, for example... Uh, I've been reading the the first tournament that is uh, scheduled, uh, four million dollars uh, for first place and the last place qualifier. In other words, the, the person that um, makes the cut but finishes last over the over the three rounds um, would get one hundred twenty thousand US. Now, uh, I can see that kind of money doesn't really interest uh, the names that you've been mentioning before. The, the four million might, the one hundred twenty k wouldn't. But uh, for a lot of professionals around the world, that would be a heck of a carrot. Well, and that's probably why you're going to get a lot of the players that aren't the absolute elite of the game, because the guys like the Mickelsons, the Dustin Johnsons, the John Rams, uh, and uh, the Scotty Schefflers now, um, they probably wouldn't get out of bed for $120,000. These tournaments have 54 holes. They have no cut. Uh, they only have 48 players. There's going to be eight events this year that are scheduled this year. So you'd have to play 54 holes. You'd have to go to the, the difficulty of playing a whole 54 holes for your 120 grand, Smithy, mm. just to tee it up. But having said that, um, yeah, I mean, there's the, just a slush fund out there, isn't there? But surely, I mean, these Saudis are a businessman, and at some stage they're going to... If if the whole thing's not coming together, as perhaps Greg Norman suggested to them that it might, there's going to be a day of reckoning at some stage, you would think. Well, the the big lure, of course, as well. Um, what the the trump card that the PGA, um, the DP Tour, the RNA, they all hold together here, uh, are the majors. And um, of course, you can't trade money for majors. Is that right, Bruce? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I mean, every player wants to have a major on their CV at their end of end of their careers, and. Um, the other thing about the PGA Tour also, Ian, is that there's just such a huge superannuation fund that even players that 
maybe go through a 10-year career on the PGA Tour, even without winning, but collectively stay with uh, full status on the PGA Tour for 10 years, end up walking away from the PGA Tour with a huge superannuation fund. So those sort of things are potentially at risk for others as well that um, that might throw their allegiance towards the Live Tour. So, I mean, there's so much more to play out here. And as you know, the, the United States is... There's so much litigation. They're, they're litigious, litigious society, I think it's called. Uh, there's going to be all sorts of things continue to play out. And, and, and like in so many other things, um, it'll be the legal industry and the lawyers that'll end up making huge amounts of money out of this and trying to... Well, I mean, if the PGA Tour come out in a couple of weeks and say, no, we're not going to, we're not going to allow certain players to play, um, Mickelson being one and other, then it's going to be ongoing that the the legal side of these thing of this thing. The Mickelson story's becoming quite weird for me. I mean, I, I admire him as a golfer. There's no doubt about it. And what he does and and what he has brought to the game with his uh, short game, etc., has just been phenomenal stuff. But he is, and um, and he's a weird guy. I mean, and it's really coming, uh, really coming to the fore now. He's had a, he's had a lot of run-ins over the years. You wouldn't say he's the world's most popular professional sportsman or golfer for that matter, but he's Phil, isn't he? Well, look, I tend to agree. I think he's brought so much to the game, and I disagree with you a little bit there. I think he is a highly popular uh, golfer, perhaps not necessarily with his peers, but in the overall scheme of things, does that matter for him? I'm not sure it does, but, you know, I witnessed him at US Opens, you know, having been to a number of US Opens, I've witnessed him, and the adoration that he has from the American public is simply amazing, almost at the level of Tiger Woods in many ways. Um, so, uh, but he, he he is an out there sort of character and, and does things his own way and says it as he sees it, and that brings him undone with the authorities and perhaps in many cases as peers, but uh, he is a very popular figure. And, and I think one of the things about I've always said about Phil Mickelson, despite whatever his peers might think of him, he gets it as far as this, the professional golf is no more or less than the entertainment industry. And I don't think there's anybody better than Phil Mickelson when it comes to entertaining. I think he gets it. He, 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 he signs autographs. He spends a lot of time doing this. He engages with fans. Some may say that it's a little bit superficial in some respects, but I think in the overall scheme of things, when you see the way that he conducts himself in tournaments, people just love the guy. So, Bruce, uh, um, how, do, how do you think this is going to play out? Is it going to be a really early line in the sand drawn? I mean, as early as prior to the PGA coming up, or are they just are they going to be patient here, the PGA, the DP World Tour? Are they going to sit back and just see what simmers here, or will they make a, a really firm line in the sand real quick? Well, this the next May the tenth, I think it is. I think that'll be an interesting uh, a milestone in terms of uh, the timeline on this whole thing, because that's when uh, the, they are granting exemptions or otherwise for those players, some of those players we mentioned, to play in a tournament opposite the Canadian Open, which is a fairly significant event on the PGA Tour. And I think um, which way it goes may well be determined by what happens then. I think the the DP World Tour also are going to have a similar situation at about the same time. So that's going to probably uh, give an indication of which way this whole thing is going to go. But I, I keep coming back to the point that whilst the Saudis have an almost endless supply of money, at some point they're going to have to say, this is just not working and we're not going to continue to put $250 million a year into something that's not going to give us some sort of a return. And you would think that's probably going to be the bottom line eventually, I would say. Uh, and the other thing, of course, uh, just uh, 
to finish off really is uh, a little thing called the Ryder Cup and another little thing called the President's Cup as well, which I would imagine would just, you'd put a line through that too, wouldn't you? Well, the Ryder Cup is uh, controlled by the PGA of America, not the PGA Tour. The President's Cup is the PGA Tour, but yeah, that's another thing that if the, the, the you know that may well be part of the consideration by the PGA Tour, not so much the PGA of America. I don't think they're two very separate bodies, but uh, you would think that the the PGA Tour um, would probably find it very difficult to pick somebody that played played uh, in the Saudi Live Tour. Unless it gains a level of credibility over the next few years, but at this stage you have to think that they'd look pretty uh, uh, negatively upon the inclusion of somebody that had played that tour into a into a President's Cup team. You've seen golf, you've covered golf for such a long, long time, Bruce, uh, all around the world. Uh, you've seen runs of form, etc., from various players. What about Scheffler, the Scotty Scheffler? This is quite staggering this calendar year. Oh, it, well, it's been building you know, ever since he played the Corn Ferry Tour. He was a very impressive, successful player three years ago when he was playing the Corn Ferry Tour, which allowed him to graduate to the PGA Tour. But his, uh, I know he's won three times, well, three, four times this year, I think. Um, but yeah. uh, I think, uh, you know, even prior to that, he was giving every indication that he was going to become an absolutely world-class player. And what we've seen this year... It may have surprised some, but I think most of those guys that, have, that are close to him, that have played with him regularly over the last few years, have realised that this is an outstanding talent. And, uh, I, you know, it may well go on at the at the PGA or the US Open or the Open Championship. He's had, I know he, he, he's had made, he's had top tens in each of the four majors now, including that win at the Masters. So mm. it's not just a flash in the pan. He's a serious uh, player and he will be a serious player in majors for quite some time to come. He's still relatively young and I think he's got a, a huge future in terms of uh, his overall standing in the game. Bruce, uh, fantastic to talk to you. We spent uh, 15 minutes uh, on the phone and we haven't even mentioned Tiger Woods. How cool is that? It's, uh, uh, it's amazing. It's the changing of the guard to a large extent, but, but it is good that we are talking about other players as well, isn't it? And yeah. just before we yeah. go, uh, Smithy, I just, just want to make mention of Steve Elker's amazing uh, performance on the PGA Tour Champions. Uh, it, it has been simply phenomenal, hasn't it, since joining the Tour in August of last year. His mm. consistency uh, has been very, very special. I mean, the fact that he remained competitive right up to the age of 50 on the secondary tour has probably kept him in good stead. But uh, his success, on a go- I carried a few tournaments on the PGA Tour Champions a few years ago, admittedly, but the quality of play there really surprised me. And uh, what he's achieving there, and now having won, I think, close to 2.8 million New Zealand dollars, in the eight or nine months that he's been on the tour. I think it's just a great reward for Steve Elker, who's a great bloke, a great player, and I think it's just going to continue to happen for him. His game's just too solid, too consistent, one of the great swings, I think, in the game. And it's just lovely to see it happening to such a good bloke. Bruce, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, New Zealand golf fans are, are loving every minute of, of Stephen Elker's uh, success at the moment, I can promise you that. And, and thanks very much for your time this morning as well and your insight. Uh, into this thing and we look forward with bated breath till May the 10th when it might hit the fan we'll see eh yeah absolutely cheers Smithy cheers Bruce Young there of course uh, world renowned golf uh, expert um, analyst etc commentator with his views there on the LIV yep that's what it's called the LIV it stands for 54 in Roman numerals it's a 54 hole tournament scenario
10.19 and we shall be back with the panel very shortly. Something like that, you know, such a traditional sport. Um, and, you know, these are these are big names uh, from the PGA Tour being linked with it. Obviously, the you know, the major one being Phil Mickelson, um, although I see, you know, no formal commitment uh, has yet been made. Look, this has the potential to divide, um, you know, the PGA Tour and all the history and traditions that, that come with it. Um, I'm, I'm not sure it's the wisest decision for uh, for players to be taking it up. Um, you know, there, there could be risks of losing their PGA Tour card, you know, going forward, um, you know, for taking part in it. But, you know, at the moment, um, several players seem pretty committed. So, you know, this is certainly a little bit of a, a wait and see moment with um, with this league. But yeah, very interesting that, that Phil Mickelson's almost doubled down in a way. He has doubled down, uh, but that is the Phil way. He's gone alongside Greg Norman, who's uh, very similar uh, in that uh, particular aspect. Doesn't mind a bit of controversy, doesn't mind stirring the pot. Uh, Sam Ackerman, good morning to you. Do you see this thing possibly taking off? It's I see it taking off because money always talks. Uh, I don't see it necessarily becoming uh, as big and as hyped as uh, they hope it being. But you know, Phil Mickelson is kind of has got every right to do what he wants with his own career. And people kind of say, "Oh, you know, he is turning his back on the PGA Tour." It's like, yeah, but you know, like he gave plenty to the PGA Tour, and uh, I think that he's made uh, some ridiculous statements. I mean, when you're talking about um, throwing all in uh, with a Saudi regime that's got renowned for terrible human rights. Um, abuses to suddenly um, referring to the PGA uh, as a dictatorship is a pretty wrong. You're, you're kind of looking at the uh, this lens from the, from the wrong uh, way, and, and you're certainly setting yourself up for a bit of hypocrisy there. I don't know. I'm not sure if the PGA Tour has been in charge of getting people assassinated, um, but if yeah, it's, <laughs> it seems a bit bit ripe to suddenly uh, to throw that that kind of shade their way. But look, he's obviously disenfranchised. He's obviously always been his own person. Uh, he does. He can go He can go anywhere and be a success. If, like Ollie's talking about, some people will be concerned about losing the tour card. If he lost his tour card, yep, he wouldn't be able to play those big events until the uh, the waters get cleared. But it's not like Phil Mickelson's going to be short of a crust or short of an opportunity to go around the world playing golf. No, that's absolutely right. Um, Ollie Ritchie, Lisa Carrington, Dame Lisa Carrington, Amy Fisher. How cool is this? Oh, it's it's a, a, a great matchup, and you, you know I think it's it's got people talking about you know the sport again um, in a really good way. Yeah, you know a bit of, a bit of uh, competitiveness and a, and a challenger for, for Lisa is, is only a, a good thing, I think. And you know Amy Fisher pipped her in the, in the first race. You know Lisa Carrington with all you know her class um, <laughs> was never going to lose two in a row. I, I don't think, and I, and I don't think she'll lose the third either. Uh, but just generally speaking, I think it's a great little rivalry forming, and I, I think it's good. You know, when was the last time we were ever talking about someone beating Lisa Carrington? Um, I think it's it's great for the sport. It, it, yeah, it's a great little rivalry, and you know, regardless of, of whether Amy Fisher ends up getting that that world championship spot for what it's worth, I don't think she will. I think uh, Lisa Carrington's you know far too classy. Um, and I, I think she'll win that third race. But the storyline around it, I think it's great. It's exciting for the sport. It's cool to be talking about uh, a new rivalry. Um, and it's probably good for Lisa Carrington as well. Keeps her on her toes. You know, she's already said she wants to uh, get to Paris in a, in a couple of years' time. Well, you know, th- this is perfect for her, really, to have someone 
um, you know, really throwing everything at her, um, you know, in the, the New Zealand national champs, let alone on the world stage. Um, I think that'll, that'll certainly drive Lisa Carrington going forward as well. Yeah, certainly putting the, the sport in headlines at a time of the year where uh, it probably wouldn't be in the past. So uh, it can only be good in that respect. We'll take a short break for the news. Uh, Sam Ackerman, Ollie Ritchie with us on the panel. When we come back, Sam Ackerman will turn them loose on the Warriors. It is uh, time for Ottawa and an update. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Part two of the panel, Ollie Ritchie, Sam Ackerman with us this morning. And uh, Sam, uh, a Warriors, it was a woeful story at the weekend. Um, true to form, they named their team uh, late yesterday for uh, the the game against uh, the Canberra Raiders, the make-up game if they possibly can. Uh, can they? And what about the, the new selections? Are you surprised? No, it's in the short term, um, short turnaround they've got of basically 24 hours, uh, you I did, and the injuries they've got, uh, those out uh, unavailable, there's never going to be a great deal of, uh, of turnaround. And when you do name these squads in the NRL, you are uh, under compulsion to put it out on the Tuesday, uh, and then you've got to so name the extended squad, and then you start trimming it down slowly as the week goes by. So whether there'll be changes is probably not... It's they're not going to show their cards that early because they don't have to. They can think about it now. They can start really doing the review and decide who's in, who's out. Uh, it doesn't mean that the 17 named has to be the 17 followed through, um, but it's just the way the NRL rules go. People saying this is you know, the Warriors' darkest day. Uh, those of us who have been on this journey for a long time, I've seen plenty of dark days. I carry a headlight around with me everywhere just in case. You know, like this is, we're, we're well used to uh, things reaching quite lo- new lows ago. I didn't think it could get this low again, and, and here it is. I still, I've been present at shellackings by the storm on, uh, on Anzac Day before. I was uh, there in the, the infamous game when they had the, uh, the, the storm, had their um, salary cap breach announced days before the game, and they came in and put on a clinic. Uh, on the Warriors that day too. It wasn't 70 points. This was just a, a, a comedy of areas along the way. It was wildly disappointing, and you could see virtually every try coming from a mile. They have so much ground to make up, uh, and uh, I, I, I'm disappointed bitterly, as anyone who's a, a, a league fan in this country should be at the performance that's put out there. But I'm, so, I'm, I'm growing disconnected from this team because I don't know three quarters of this team. I've never seen them play on New Zealand shores as New Zealand Warriors. They are not the team that left here. They're not the same. It's not the same coach. They've been through a couple since then. The, the, the playing personnel has gone through such a rapid change and, and key players like Tohu Harris aren't available right now and it is not the same Warriors team that you felt connected to as a fan uh, in front of Mount Smart Stadium and the performance was one that unfortunately, is leading to more apathy than anger from fans. That's dangerous. The most dangerous thing in sport is fan apathy, and that's what I'm seeing at the moment. Ollie, what uh, what did you make, one, of the performance, two, um, uh, the fallout from the performance, not not just um, within the group, um, uh, within the public as well? Oh, what did I make of the performance? That's a pretty easy answer. Smithy, much the same as, as Sammy's just alluded to. Um, in, incredibly disappointing. Um, you know, I, was, well, I don't know what, if I want to say lucky enough, but I, I was there um, at Amy Park watching that and, um, you know, speaking to, to Craig Bellamy the day before, he was actually full of praise for, for the Warriors. He thought that they were really starting to, to find their feet. Um, you know, yes, they lost to the Roosters the week before, but, it, you know, he thought that there were quite a few signs in that game alone which said, you know, actually... 
uh, this Warriors team can can match it with with the very best in the NRL. Now, you know, maybe that was a few mind games from uh, from Craig Bellamy. Maybe it wasn't, but uh, well, what they put out on that eighty minutes on um, on Amy Park was. Uh, you know, I want to say schoolboy stuff, but you know that's an insult to schoolboy uh, rugby league. Um, incredibly disappointing. Um, you know, Nathan Brown admitting afterwards that players just began giving up. Well, what's the point of pulling on a Warriors jersey if you're just going to give up when, when the going gets tough? Um, incredibly uh, rare to hear, to hear a, a coach admit that uh, about his team. Um, and you know, I think that's. Uh, that's where the anger and the apathy comes from with, with fans. You know, it's not like they they really dug in and tried their absolute hardest to to prevent that onslaught. They just let it happen, which is probably the hardest thing to stomach. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, what what Ollie said there too, Sam, about um, Nathan Brown saying, "Look, they, they just flew up the, the white flag and they gave up, and that was the most concerning thing of all." What made them? What in your mind? I mean, seven minutes into the second half, there's six. Points behind. If they were forty nil down at half time, I could understand a, a hammering like that. Sixteen ten behind with touch over half an hour to go. What was the trigger? Can you put your finger on it? Look, it's, it's easy to say the the loss. Josh Curran is, is to me the heart and soul of the uh, of the engine room. He gets in, he rips into everything. He's got that Michael Luck quality where he won't accept. Uh, anything than giving his all. His injury was a was a major blow. You lose um, Dallin on the wing, and it does mean a, a, losing a winger is a real major issue for a league team because you don't really carry wingers on your bench. So it, it does have a huge impact. That said, it doesn't stop you trying. Any there's ne- I can't I can't possibly understand or put give a reason for why people started grabbing at shirts, uh, why people stood still when the ball was moving. I was watching them behind the sticks every chance that the camera went there because it didn't do, go there very often because they're uh, too busy watching the celebrations. But I didn't see people talking. I didn't see people giving each other a bit of um, support or even a, a bit of stick to, to rip into it. They just stood there with uh, stoned face, and that's always terrifying for a sports team. And uh, I heard um, Ollie's uh, question line along the way, and nothing, nothing made me feel worse. I talk about the apathy, but I felt kind of just deflated when I heard Craig Bellamy say he felt sorry for the opposition he felt sorry for the Warriors who wants anyone to feel sorry for their team you want them to come out and try to thrash them but it's like, it's like even they thought it was overkill you know? even the team flogging us felt like oh maybe we should put the key on the rack here this is, getting, this is getting unfair there's been some really good weeks for the Warriors in recent times and, put, and those are the games where they dug in I could see them lose every game this season. If they dig in every game, I won't care. If they put out performances, even when they win, but they seem apathetic, they'll, they'll lose it. It's been, it. I'm talking about that distance between the team. There's a real easy ability for fans to turn off, not turn on, but turn off the Warriors. I came very close uh, to turn the game off, and I never do that with a Warriors game, knowing that I'm likely, you know, to, people can ask my opinion on it, or I want to see things to conclusion. I'm also... Uh, if I miss the Raiders game next week, I'm I'm not going to give a sad about it. I'm, it. It leads to that level of, oh well, what do I need to see these guys for? If they don't want to put in, why should I, why should I give them my time? I've barely missed a Warriors game since their existence, and I'm not that concerned if I don't watch next week. Ollie Ritchie, uh, you said you were at uh, Amy Park, which uh, suggests that you were Amy at Amy Park for quite a few uh, hours over the weekend. Uh, what did you make of the rugby side of it? Yeah, it was um, it, it was good. I think it's got that that super round has the makings of, of 
something that can be really good, but it, it certainly wasn't <laughs> nailed on um, this weekend. Uh, modest fans through the gates. Uh, I think it was 30,000 over the entire weekend. Uh, they slowly picked up as the weekend went on. Good that an Australian team won. Uh, I think you know the competition needed that. If we'd just had um, you know five schlackings and five wins to, to the New Zealand side, I think uh, interest in Super Rugby might have started to wane more than it, than it already is. Um, I think Super Round has the makings of something that can be really good, but they need to change up a lot of it. Um, you know, they want it to be at the start of the season so it doesn't clash with the NRL or clash with the AFL still in summer. I think it's a good idea. Um, but, you know, Super Rugby bosses have harped on for a long time about the fact that this needs to be a more than an 80-minute experience for, for punters. They, can, they need to be able to come uh, and enjoy more than just 80 minutes of rugby. There, there was nothing for them to enjoy other than the 80 minutes of rugby and maybe uh, long queues to get hot chips and beers. So they need to start thinking... Uh, outside the box a little bit. What activations can they have? Can they have live music, food trucks, all that sort of stuff? So you make it about more than just the rugby um, and, you know, you give punters uh, another reason to come. That being said, it has the makings of something good um, if they can do it right going forward. Uh, and uh, the Black Ferns and Wayne Smith, I've got to used to saying that, Wayne Smith and his Black Ferns confirmed yesterday they'll have at least three matches in warm-up. Uh, they'll play the United States, Canada... Uh, and Australia, Ollie, and then of course uh, the All Blacks also fairly busy home program, which um, which I think we're ready for. Yeah, we, we absolutely are. Uh, great that those Black Ferns tests that ha- have been locked in. Um, again, no, I'm not I'm not sure how well that's going to prepare the Black Ferns to play France and England at a World Cup. They, France and England are just so far ahead of the rest at the moment. Uh, it's it's not even funny. Um, but really important for them and, and will be great to be able to start talking about, you know, Black Ferns rugby as opposed to everything that comes off the field. Um, yep, all Black schedule again. Those three tests against Ireland at home will be really interesting. They need to bounce back. They need to, to start the season with some, some really big wins, the All Blacks, after what happened last year. Um, I think they'll, they'll do that. Of course, it's at the back end of Ireland season, so um, you know, they need to put out a few statement performances early on. But the interesting ones there, Smithy, uh, that weren't, weren't named in that schedule of the two tests in South Africa. Uh, what a litmus test that'll be for Ian Foster and his side. If they thought last year was hard, going up against the box on the Gold Coast, well, uh, they've got another thing coming in South Africa. So that'll be a real test of, of where things are at for the All Blacks, uh, you know, coming up to a year from the World Cup. Ollie Ritchie and Sam Ackerman have been our panellists this morning and uh, lovely to hear uh, the passion in both their voices, but particularly Sam uh, and his beloved Warriors. And, um, yeah, uh, I hate the, to see the day when Sam Ackerman didn't uh, line up to watch a Warriors game. That would be a sad day for the sport. Uh, 10.42 here on SCNZ. Uh, we'll have another panel around about uh, 20 past uh, 10 tomorrow morning. Always look forward to those opinions of our, our guests, journalists and commentators. We'll be back shortly uh, with a couple of texts, and don't forget, we'll also be talking to Louis Herman Watt um, and the TAB before 11 o'clock. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 8833 is our text number, 0800 150 811 is our phone number. Um, New Zealand's most humiliating losses, that was uh, the topic uh, I proposed this morning. Uh, there's uh, been uh, two or three come in, but uh, I can't go past as a cricketer, of course, the 1955 Test match at Eden Park, where we were knocked over by uh, for just 26 runs. That was 67 years ago, and I'll be honest, there's been two or three occasions in the last five to six years where sides have been like 
eight for 20. One, uh, I think Australia was nine for 25 and ended up getting 40. Um, and, and that was a pretty good Australian side as well. Uh, that, I think, was about four years ago. And I was thinking we're finally going to get rid of 26 out of our minds. It's going to be one we want to hand over. Uh, but no, it still exists there, uh, 67 years on. The Bulls 61, the Chiefs 17. The Silver Ferns losing to Malawi at the Commonwealth Games back in 1990. Can remember that? 9-8 uh, loss, uh, as I said, to, in the America's Cup after being 8-1 up to Oracle. All these things very, very painful, very painful. Uh, the All-Whites nil, New Caledonia 2, post-World Cup in 2012. Um, yeah, so an, a number, have you, have you got one there? Have you got one in your own club footy? You got beaten by 100. Uh, have you ever been rolled completely in a cricket team? You hear sides getting knocked over for well and truly less than 26 in club cricket, except for school cricket. Have you, have you got uh, anything along those lines? Uh, text come in from Craig. Uh, hi, Smithy. I've watched women's NPC, so many props uh, are overweight. Coach says, uh, lose weight. If I turned up 20 kilos overweight, I'd be told to go and lose that weight. That's honesty, not body shaming. Uh, the French woman will win the next World Cup. Now, I'm starting to watch quite a lot of the Six Nations women's rugby. And the reason why is because I want to get familiar with the players that are going to come and take us on uh, at the end of the year for the Women's Rugby World Cup. Watched, uh, I watched uh, England play uh, Ireland. I watched uh, Wales play France. <coughs> they're athletes. There's no doubt about it. They're, um, they're very skilled. Uh, their set pieces are beautifully controlled. Um, and, you know, they're on the right track. Um, we've got athletes, we've got good set pieces, etc., but not quite to that level. Interesting to talk to uh, our correspondent from the UK this morning, uh, from The Guardian, who just said no chance, no chance in the wide world we can make up that difference in the next few months. So, interesting. We call him the Professor Wayne Smith, but uh, according to what people are seeing overseas compared to at home, then we can't, we, we can't do it. We simply can't do it. Uh, and uh, someone has come in and said also that, yes, they are playing club rugby, our players, uh, our women's players, but they're only doing it when uh, that uh, particular uh, window is, is open. So um, if they have to be available for camps, etc., obviously uh, they go into the Black Fence group. So there you go. It's 10.50 here on SENZ. Uh, Louis Herman Watt. Uh, is next and then Pip Morris too on behalf of the TAB. Your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Well, anyone would think that the big boss from Australia is over and uh, everyone's on their best behaviour because, st- look, who, look, he's still in the studio. It's Louis Herman Watt. Uh, of course, uh, he stays every day, doesn't he, Louis? Uh, with, uh, racing today, uh, Louis, at Hawara, I understand, which usually means, and they do do well on their home tracks, the, the local trainers, Sharracks, etc. Uh, seven races from 12.30, heavy track, heavy eight, fine. 
that's the one, Smithy. Hey, I've just been um, doing the extras, you know, just really just trying to dig in and, and put together a show for tomorrow, Smithy. That's how it works. Um, look, race seven. I reckon I got you a winner, and you're up the right track. You're looking for your, your Alan Sharricks. You're looking for your Lisa Allpresses, you know, those veterans of the circuit in the CD that just know one or two things. And then when you spot a good set of silks, which you know are not afraid of the winner's circle, like the Waikato stud one, and you see a a Savabeel I Do called Ideal, you're thinking, ooh, $2.80, how good was that? Well, it's into $2.30 right now. I just think, I think this is a winner. I think it really is. Um, I've had a look, I've, I've seen all the threats and I've kind of tossed and turned about what would really be beating it in this field. And yeah, there's a bit of money here and there, ginger snaps. Uh, RJB's taken a lot of cash for Bridget Grills and Chris Bothwell, but I just don't think it'd have the classes ideal from Barrier 7. So in race seven, that's that. The other one I'm watching is Invisible Spirit in race number five. I see some specking around Zephyr Z, so maybe if you wanted to back Invisible Spirit, save on the place or each way on Zephyr Z as well. And yeah, I think there's a couple of winners to be had at Harwater today, Smithy. Okay, Louis, thanks very much for that. Uh, I'll let you get you back to that prep, that all important prep that you're doing for tomorrow morning. Um, nice to see you just uh, hanging around a wee bit longer. Pip Morris from the TAB uh, joins us on behalf of the TAB, of course, uh, hard working uh, as Pip. Uh, and there's Greyhounds today. Uh, from Palmerston North, Pip, there are 10 races. Good morning, Smithy. Yes, there certainly is. Looking forward to the programme. A couple of highlights. Justin Evans calling for a change to Mark Rosanowski on leave. And we both like a dog in race number seven. I'm with losing days and he's with Highview Susie. So maybe the Quinella there at around 7.50 uh, could be the way to play that. Smithy, looking forward to the cards for the racing side of things. And then the sports side of things, for the basketball's heating up. There's been a good uh, couple of bets on them as well. $4,000 on Atlanta, keep to get at two forty-five. A $3,000 multi on Memphis to cover the six-and-a-half point start. And the LA Dodgers for the baseball there to cover the one-and-a-half to return $6,270. Just a tick under two k on Miami to cover the seven-point start there at one eighty-seven. And a good power play available today. Check out the power plays on tab.co.nz. Every home team wins. So Miami Heat, Memphis Grizzlies and the Phoenix Suns are at 275. That's been the most popular power play. And just quickly for the NRL, good $10,000 multi on the Panthers in the Storm. Both the wind used to head to return 11771 which that's a pretty good bet. They are big numbers. Uh, Pip, have a great day. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, input as always. Uh, we're going to talk uh, basketball after the break. NBL basketball. We're going to talk to Sam Timmons. Now, Sam Timmons is a big, a big for the SENZ Otago Nuggets who kick off the season tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening around 7.30 against the Nelson Giants. But basketball is the early flavour of the next hour. In the meantime, here's Aroha with the news. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for sport. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, basketball. Basketball is the theme of the moment um, because the NBL uh, tips off tomorrow night and it's the Nelson Giants against our very own SENZ Otago Nuggets uh, and one of the star players for the Nuggets, 
will be Sam Timmons. He is a big, a genuine big, uh, and expected uh, with the experience he's putting behind him now uh, to be one of the front runners in the comp this year. And that's why we've got him on. Good morning to you, Sam. Morning, Smitty. How you going? Oh, I'm going great, mate. Looking forward to uh, tip off tomorrow night. And I imagine uh, you guys are pretty well primed for it as well. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's been honestly, it's been tough for me not being able to be with the team, you know, throughout the preseason build up, obviously being over in Australia with the breakers and just getting back within the last couple of days. But, you know, I've been in contact with the team, watching, you know, the preseason games and scrimmages and the boys are looking good and I can't wait to get a, get involved again. Sam, um you're twenty four years of age at the moment, but you've had a, a pretty rich history in basketball so far. Can I I mean, with a lot of uh, sons of, um, and you're in that category, uh, they're often uh, look to go in one direction, and quite often they they about face and go the other. I've got a son of my own who did exactly the same thing. When did you make the choice for basketball, mate? Um, I, I, I honestly, I, I still I still remember it. I think uh, it was at year nine, one of the year nine assemblies of the Targo boys and uh, Ryan Martin coach of rugby at the time was like right all year nine boys who want to stay behind and play rugby uh i want to play rugby this year stay behind after assembly and i hadn't really kind of made my mind up at that point but i was kind of like you know what i'm just gonna make basketball my thing and i just you know i walked out of that assembly and never really touched the rugby ball again since it's quite an incredible story actually with uh, the influence of being at otago boys as well as uh as well as it having it at home as well mate you uh, just to give the folks at home a, a, a little idea why they call you a big, uh, you're two eleven, which is uh, around six foot and eleven and a bit, uh, around 120 k. Geez, I understand uh, you are a big, a genuine big, and you've been a big all the time. So um, that uh, and people can associate that with Stephen Adams, I guess. So uh, that's your role in the game. Yeah, yeah, um, that isn't my role in the game. Uh, I think. It's just, I guess, obviously, um, part and parcel of... I never really shot up or had a big growth spurt growing up, so it was just, you know, I was sort of consistently a, a bit taller than everyone else my age, and when you're... Even in New Zealand, because, you know, we don't have many footers going around in the country, uh, if your body over, like, 6'5", you get put in the centre position, and so, yeah, it's just kind of been the, the position I slotted into, and I keep growing and keep getting bigger, and it's, yeah, it's worked out a lot. You followed the dream, uh, Sam. You went to... Uh, you became a husky at Washington. Uh, tell us about that experience. Um, yeah, there's a there's a lot of dynamics that went into that experience uh, for me personally. I think uh, after my first year there, which I had a pretty solid freshman season, and then uh, the the head coach there uh, got fired, and then you know we brought the next coach in, um, and even that came with a lot of learning experiences, and there was um, some adjustments that I felt like I needed to make you know, being a Kiwi and going into an American environment. And, you know, there were some things I did well there and some things I could have improved on. And so, yeah, there's a lot I feel like I left on the table at college personally. But at the end of the day, I learned a lot that I couldn't have learned if I'd stayed in this part of the world. And it's helped me massively as a person, first and foremost, and obviously on the court. We get a taste of it here with March Madness, uh, of course. Um, those of us that follow uh, college basketball, etc. So we're, we're fully aware of the popularity of it. But... A lot of people here in New Zealand would just have no idea, would they? Oh man, like, like it's March Madness is bigger than the Super Bowl almost, and uh, I mean even that probably you know a lot of Kiwis wouldn't have uh, a real grasp on the 
the scale of. But, you know, you talk about you, Otago Uni plays in, you know, Saturday Men's League, <laughs> whereas, you know, uh, the universities over there are, you know, billion-dollar entities in their own right, like, respectively, not even as a collective. And it's, you know, in a lot of cases, people watch that more than they watch the NBA. It's, the scale of it is unreal. It is unreal. Um, uh, it is absolutely, mind-blowingly unreal. You've had uh, already uh, a bit of a history uh, in the NBL back at home as you've uh, been around the traps a wee bit. Uh, second go with the Nuggets, uh, the Rams, the, the Franklin Bulls, who are a new franchise in their own right. So it looks pretty healthy, doesn't it? Uh, what does? Sorry. <laughs> the, the NBL looks pretty uh, healthy. As, as oh, the NBL. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, the NBL looks great this year, and you know, I've been keeping a close eye on the signings and who's picking up who. And I, I think this year's primed to be one of the 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 NZ NBL's highest level competitions with all the names that we've brought in teams across the whole country. And it's going to be like really good for the league, I think, this year. And guys that have done really well in other leagues around the world coming over, and there'll be a lot of eyes watching and. It's only, it's only going to make sure that the league keeps getting better and better and we bring better players and the level goes up and it's better for New Zealand as a whole. Let's look at the, the roster then uh, that, that you guys have been able to put together this year. Um, you lost uh, Isaiah Moss out of the group last week. was a lot of, uh, last year I should say, a, a lot of experience there. Uh, but tell us about the, the new imports into the group this year. Um, well, obviously the... Keith Williams, who's you know out of Cincinnati, is a, a guy that I haven't seen play a whole lot personally. But you know when um, you know he was announced, as, you know Brent told me we'd signed him. I obviously went and looked at his stuff, and he looks like he's going to be a great player for us. Um, can shoot the ball, play great defense, and get to the rim, score on three levels, which is you know at offer it. That's all you really need to be great in a in any level in basketball. And then obviously to Jim McCall and Todd Withers, who you know I got some experience playing against. This year in the AMBL, both you know incredible basketball players, um, both had really really great performances right in the final round too. You know, Tizia McCoy had 42 points, 10 assists, eight rebounds, five steals, and that was you know like, and that's you know probably one of the greatest performances in NBL history. And now he's coming to play for Otago. So if you're an Otago fan, that's something to get excited about. And Todd Withers, I think he had like three from three or four from four from three. Plays great defense. He cares. That's one thing I've heard from you know teammates of mine that I that I know have played with them. They just care about the game. They're great people and, you know, they're going to add to the team off the court as well as on the court. So very exciting to be on the team and to be a part of the team or just to support the team. Sam, is there a bit of concern that you haven't really been to, together as a group uh, as such? I mean, you know, you're hitting Nelson tomorrow um, and the Giants. I, I just wonder whether, as terms of combinations, etc., are you a little bit worried it might take just a little bit longer to settle into things? Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, there are obviously downsides that come with you know, not having an entire preseason together, but I think as New Zealand reaches, the New Zealand NBL reaches a higher level of, um, you know, drawing a higher level of players, sometimes there are going to be seasonal overlaps across the world. And part of professional basketball is that, you know, players come and go and you don't always get everyone for the whole time. And so, as we grow as a league, it's going to, you know, part of that is learning to adapt and the faster you, uh, you can take things on the fly and the faster, the less, team, the less time teams need to 
be able to click and gel and figure out ways to get the best out of who, who they've got at the time. You know, those teams that do that the best are going to play the best, so that's on us. Been able to do any scouting on the Giants at all, you guys? Yeah, obviously, you know, as I said, you know, keep, keep tabs on who's got who around the league and a lot of the Nelson players are guys that have been in Nelson and played for Nelson for a long time. Um, you know, obviously they've got Tom Ingham and Sam Dempster and Nick Trayton and, uh, you know, a lot of those other guys that have, you know, you associate with the Nelson Giants and there's a lot of instant chemistry that comes with having those guys on the team and they'll be good at, you know, taking, you know, the imports they have or maybe some other local players that are probably getting a more of a crack than they've had in past years and they'll take them under the wing and they'll bring them into the, the culture that they have there, which is a great culture. You can always tell when you play against the Giants, they all care a lot and they all want to put their bodies on the line for the team. So, you know, regardless of who they have on the on the court, they're always going to be a tough game because they care so much and they play so hard. So it'll be a great first challenge for us. Talking to Sam from, uh, Timmins, folks, who uh, is uh, with the Otago Nuggets, the SENZ Otago Nuggets and the Sal's uh, NBL. Sam just coming back, of course, from a stint with the Breakers. Uh, Sam, not the uh, result-wise anyway, not the happiest time for the Breakers uh, in Australia this time around. Uh, but what did you, Sam Timmins, get out of that experience? Um, man, there, there, was, there were so many levels and so many dynamics that contributed to, to that being a tough time. You know, like, obviously, as a team, when we went to Australia, the, we had, the understanding was that we'd be back within a couple months. Um, we had... Uh, you know, just a lot of injuries that plagued us throughout the start of the season. And, you know, obviously the record, you know, any, you know, you lose three games in a row and the vibe, you know, you can feel it as a, as a competitive team and a group of competitive people. And then you add all those things together and then we find out we're there for the whole season. It's it's tough, but, you know, it's all highs and lows and, you know, it all works like a pendulum. So you go one way and you learn from it and the lower you go, the higher you can go in a, depending on what mindset you go into it with and you come out of it with. So I think there's a lot of us who have learnt a lot of things about ourselves as athletes and what we need and what is uh, going to be conducive to our heads, headspace, the things we need to do to look after our mind, body and soul and use the things going forward. So I think the biggest thing for me, honestly, is just making sure I'm doing what I'm doing to find balance in my life. Couldn't really you know, get away from it at times in the hotel or around the boys and stuff and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, if you're too much of it, of a good thing, is a bad thing, so, for anyone. So, it's finding that balance, man, and staying happy and enjoying it. Sam, just interested to know, I mean, you are a big, you're a, you're a massive unit, and there's always at least one or two in, in, in every side, not necessarily on the, on the court at the same time, but uh, that presence, I mean, the game is about, uh, supposedly lack of contact, but you've got this great physical frame. How hard is it to avoid those sort of issues on a court where you become targeted for fouls? Where you know, uh, I, I, and there's such a small space to to move around in. It must be a real challenge. Um, I think that's probably a pretty common misconception in this part of the world, given that you know the main sport that everyone follows is rugby, which is by nature a contact sport. But you know. Basketball is an incredibly physical sport and, you know, being able to, uh, like, take contact and create contact and be smart about how you make contact is that's what's going to, you know, determine what level you can play at because if you're not strong enough and you can't take the contact, you won't you won't go up any higher. So in, in a lot of ways, me having that, you know, the size and strength 
to you know use on the court the way I do. It's a massive asset. And I think I think in, in terms of um, it being a, like a disadvantage in terms of like foul calls and you know obviously I'm not I'm not going to be the fastest person on any court that I that I get on. But you know there's ways and ways you can get around that. Ways you can use your body. But to answer your question, basketball is an incredibly physical sport. So you know being big and strong is always going to be an asset. What have you made um, of uh, Stephen Adams and his his development? I mean, he went through the same pathways as you do. Didn't spend as as long as uh, as you at university, as such. But what about his his rise to fame? And where do you think he sits now? If you look at this current series involving involving the Memphis uh, Grizzlies, where his court time is uh, next to nothing uh, in this series. Um, I mean, like utmost respect for Steve and you know, the way that he's he's gone about his business because, you know, obviously coming from the background he came from, he had to work his ass off to get where he got and, you know, hard work paid off for him. And I think the coolest thing about him is that he's never, you know, been anyone else for anyone else. And, you know, he's done a lot of things that people idolise him for. And, you know, he's also made a lot of decisions, especially regarding the national team that have caught his, you know, what it lies loyalty to New Zealand into question and stuff, but at the end of the day, you know he's done what it, what he wanted to do and he's done what's best for him. And as a professional athlete, sometimes you, you feel tugged in a lot of directions to to please people that are, you know, not you or not your family. And so, down most respect for sticking to his guns and just doing it the way he's wanted to do it. What about uh, the other bigs in the league? Who, who are the guys that uh, really inspire you, aside from Stephen Adams, who's done it the hard way, as you said, coming from uh, this far away? Uh, but what about the bigs in the league? Who are the guys that really, really do impress you? Um, obviously, uh, Nikola Jokic is just like, it's incredible watching him play the game. Just because obviously he's, you know, athletically he doesn't pass the eye test from, you know, just about any, you know, any league. If you look at him, you know, he's barely able to dunk and he's seven foot. But it's just the fact that he's, as I said before, he's so strong. He knows how to use his strength and his throw his weight around in the right way. He sees the game like, you know, a very, very small percentage of basketball players in the world. He's in passes he's able to make. The plays that he's able to make for his teammates and the way that he's able to score the ball is just, you know, it's, it's incredible to watch from... You know, whether you know the game and you're looking for the little, the littlest detail or you're just a, a casual fan and you want to make someone just de- do dazzling things, it's, it's incredible to watch him play. And then also the way that Carl Anthony Towns is playing, uh, especially the last game that he had in that uh, series with them in Memphis, he, he's, the way he's able to shoot the ball and uh, create in ways that it's not common for someone of his size to do. And obviously Joel Embiid, the season he's had. So those three guys are just, you know, they're incredible to watch, especially for for me being in my position. Who, who wins the NBA then, um, from your point of view, Sam? Uh, the whole NBA? Um, and that's, I mean, that's, that's a big call to make, but I think as long as you've got a guy like, if you've got th- a guy like that on your, t- those three guys, a guy like that on your team, um, obviously it's hard to, it's hard to bet against Giannis and the things that he's able to do on the court. So, Mm. Whoever wins the team, it'll have either those three guys that I mentioned or Giannis on their team. Just, um, just finally, who's your team? I mean, uh, being Washington-based for quite an influential part of your life, does that make you automatically a Wizards fan, or 
or you, you got someone else? Uh, different, different Washington. That's uh, Washington DC, and yeah. I was from I went to yeah. Washington State, which is in the the top left. So, yeah. um, but I mean, I think I, I'm you know obviously not growing up in America. I didn't have an NBA team that I followed. So for me, it's kind of more what we were talking about before. I just have players that I like mm. to watch, and I I like to see their teams do well. Does Jordan still have anything to do with the Washington Wizards? Would you know Michael Jordan? Uh, he's the he's the owner of the of the Hornets. Of oh, the Hornets now, he's gone across to the Hornets. Well, there you go. Yeah. He, wow, he, nice, he owns nice, that to, team. nice to have some money, eh? Uh, okay. Well, tomorrow night, seven thirty, I think it is sales NBL action, and it is uh, the. Uh, Otago Nuggets, SENZ Otago Nuggets against the Nelson Giants. We've been talking to Sam Timmons. Good luck for the season, mate. Uh, rest assured you've got this station's interests on your shoulders. You realise that, don't you? I do. And so it's good to have a bit of extra pressure. I appreciate it, mate. <laughs> uh, good on you, Sam. Great to catch up with you and uh, find a uh, bit more about life as uh, a big guy. Thank you, uh, and go well, please. Cheers. Have a good one, too. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Uh, Sam Timmons there from uh, the SNZ Otago Nuggets who gave me a geography lesson. So there you go. I always thought that the Washington Huskies uh, were in the same state as the Washington Wizards. But then again, America is quite a big place and I just went Washington for Washington and I was wrong. So there you go. Um, And Michael Jordan too. Uh, Out of the Wizards, uh, I think when uh, he bought into the Wizards it was uh, huge because... Uh, of course, Jordan being associated with anything is huge, but then, of course, I've gone across to the Hornets there. So uh, interesting to, to find those uh, pieces of information. You learn something new every day, as we will in the next uh, 40 minutes as well, I'm sure. It is 11.21 here on SENZ. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.26 here on SENZ. I'd really like to talk some Formula One now, so uh, I'm going to pop across to uh, our news studio where Araha Hathaway is uh, waiting for us and poised, ready to do some news uh, in the next half hour or so as well. Uh, but there we were last time we talked thinking about the Charles Leclerc, thinking it's got it all his own way. Well, uh, that is now not the case. I wouldn't say the wheels literally came off at the weekend, but... Uh, he lost ground, didn't he? <laughs> they nearly came off. He gave it a good go. Mm. He was looking so good leading up to that, though, wasn't he? I mean, he looks very good anyway. It's a very hard colour to wear, Red. Um, but in all seriousness, Ferrari heading into Imola, leading both championships, is like a seafood platter on a plate for the Italians. And then they didn't get to eat it. It was tough because... Not only did Charles, I mean, it was hard to watch because it was so close to the end, and it it looked he tried so very hard, and it's very difficult. I can imagine as someone in a high pressure sport at home in front of your home crowd um, to deliver. But you, signs had gone off, and like I think it, at the second corner, thanks to our Aussie mate across from across the Tassie, Daniel Ricardo. Um, making a small error and, and taking out the second Ferrari driver. Not that there's a one-two in Ferrari, of course. They'd say they're both equal. Mm. Well, that's interesting because uh, what it did do is uh, it opened up a window of opportunity for someone to, to make some serious ground. And 
the reigning world champion, of course, is Max Verstappen, uh, and he didn't let it slide by, did he? I'm sure that there are Formula One fans listening and people who actually practice motorsport who are much more qualified in terms of being racers and passionate about the sport and they don't necessarily want just... Because I'm a fangirl at the end of the day. My dad raced. He raced in Speedway and raced motorcycles and that was his passion for many decades. He's still alive and he would still love to be racing. It's the one thing that he would still love to do. So it's in his blood but it's not necessarily in mine at a professional level or even at a very good level. I don't know if I'd be very good now. But I do know that if you leave a door, even a, the window ajar for Red Bull they, it's like you may as well have left the, the tent flaps open. Don't, just get rid of the tent. The, the, all the windows and doors open and Red Bull's a bit of a machine they proved to be a machine in that race as long as they could finish. So they didn't have any reliability issues. They just looked strong from the get-go. They looked a bit scary, actually. Nico Rosberg um, called Max, what did he call him, a, an animal. And that's what he's like when he drives. He's unapologetic and he's young, but without the kind of bratty sort of arrogance that can come when when you know you, you watch the boys get a bit rough around the edges or they can't control their emotions he manages to control mm. pressure very very well and i think that's something that Charles didn't do this weekend it was sad to watch i'm not i'm the biggest fan i i one of the things that i love about this season is it doesn't matter who you back even if your team is finishing in the, the second half of the grid, Lewis Hamilton, there's still something to celebrate because here's this 12-year-old Lando Norris, third on the podium. Mm, that is staggering. A 12-year-old, he's not, no, he's not 12. Well, for yeah. six years. Well, well, he looks like 12. <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's, put it this way. Put it this way, he, he can't even drive on his own streets at home. I mean, that, that is just, that, that's the stark thing about that. It's the reality for crazy. this new generation yeah, it, of drivers. But yeah, then the other and thing, Lewis that, Hamilton. Yes, Louis. Louis, um, Sir Lewis. Uh, well, unlucky for some, number thirteen, isn't it? So, mm. so I kind of, I think if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, there are other things that are giving you some relief in uh, Formula One. Because if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a fan of Mercedes. You might not like George Russell, but the Brits want the Brits really love George because it's another. British driver, so they'll love him, and he finished fourth, up there with Lando, another Brit who finished third, but for me, the real heroes were like people like Yuki Tsunoda who, who were being written off last year because, you know, he learned his English in the garage, so every second word over the comms was interesting and unbroadcastable, and now he finishes in the top ten, you know, he gets a seventh, and Sebastian Vettel is back in the top ten you know, he hasn't been able to have a full race all season, he's got you know, half a dozen laps and I don't know how many in total, but he finishes eighth. And then Kevin Magnuson, who was thrown out of the team for a couple of rookies last year, finishing in the top ten and ninth. I just I what I'm loving about this season is you can't come away watching come away from a weekend disappointed, even if your mm. guy's not doing really, really well, because there's more surprises. Sure, it's still two teams dominating out the front. But everything else is a surprise. You know, Valtteri Bottas, whose seat was taken by George Russell, having this gun-down finish line, photo finish at the end almost with George Russell. It's great. Great to watch. And Miami next time round. Oh. Miami. Absolutely. Look forward to Miami. Uh, fantastic. Uh, uh, thank you 
very much for that little update on uh, F1. No worries, is, just uh, my uh, opinion. Yep. Yes, and uh, just get poised and ready because we're coming to the news uh, with you very shortly as well. Uh, but we've just got time to tell the folks at home or in the car to dial 0800-150-811. 0800-150-811. It's time for our daily quiz, Stump Smithy. 50 bucks worth of uh, TAB products up for grabs and, of course, some wonderful sleep drops as well. So get on that phone, 0800-150-811. Thank you. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Oh, and I'm back. Hey, Brian Bowden. Hey, Billy. Billy Brian. I don't know, man. I don't know what to call myself. But hey, <laughs> it's t- it's that time of, of the day where we give away uh, $50 from the TAB and some sleep drops. It is stumped by Smithy time. Uh, up for grabs today, as I said, we have a TAB bonus bed and the sleep drops daytime revive. They are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. So joining us at the crease today, we have... Barry. Barry, how are you, mate? Come in, Barry. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. All good. Thank you. Where are you calling from, Barry? Yeah, Palmerston North. Oh, we got a Palmy man here, uh, Smithy. Yeah, hey, well, I'm Smithy. an ex-Palmy. Yeah, good on you, Barry. Yeah, uh, did you get to the speed? This, get the speedway at the weekend? No, no. But what a sad ending, eh? Yeah, it was very, very sad. Actually, so it was very popular time-honoured event, so um, yeah, our yeah. condolences, yeah. of course, go out to the, the family and friends of uh, all those uh, associated with that uh, unfortunate uh, death of that, of that young man. So uh, we'll yeah, move on to more absolutely. pleasant things, um, Brian. We'll yeah. move on to more pleasant things, and let's get stuck into it. All right, so Barry, uh, if you haven't played this game before, there are three categories you get to choose, three questions. Uh, you get all of them right. You get all the chocolates. That's the uh, bonus bet and the sleep jobs. Uh, you get them wrong and Smithy gets it right, you're gone. Uh, you get them wrong, Smithy gets them wrong, you breathe for another round, mate. Uh, the three the three today, we have Kiwis at the Commonwealths, golf or basketball. What would you like to go with, uh, Barry? Uh, we'll go with golf, thanks. <laughs> golf it is. All right. Question number one. Kiwi golfer. Stephen Alka continues to impress in the PGA Tour Championship champions. And what year did he turn professional? Ah, yeah. It's a toughie. That's a toughie. Look, you have no idea what you're doing, eh? So I can only guess. Um. Oh. I'm going to say 92. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket Over to you, Yeah, well, I was doing my maths as well, uh, to be fair, Barry, so I was counting back. So you're right, 50-51. Say go back uh, 25 years, 26 years. That would make it uh, around about... Uh, 1995 for me. <laughs> <laughs> Gone, Barry, back to the pavilion for Barry. Thanks for playing Stumped by Smithy. Up next we have Wade. How, come in, Wade. Can you hear us? G'day, mate. How are you? There you go. How are you, mate? Where are you calling from? 
Christchurch. Christchurch, beautiful, beautiful. So, two questions to go, mate. Uh, it's all on you now. Uh, question number two. Michael Campbell is probably best known for winning the US Open and the World Match Play Championship in 2005. What was his highest ever world ranking? Based on winning that, I'd go, uh, let's try fourth. One of the worst things I have ever seen. Done Ooh, over to you, Smithy. Yeah, I reckon he got into the top ten, but I'll say he just snuck, snuck into the top ten. Uh, I'll say maybe ninth. Oh, oh, what are we going to One of the worst things go. I have ever seen. No, uh... Number 12 in 2001, in May 2001. So not right, quite okay. not quite there, Smithy, but uh, no, good guess. Final question. The great Sir Bob Charles announced his retirement from golf in 2010 at the age of 74. What year was he inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame? The World Golf. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. I guess, uh, give me, give me one minute, I'll say 1993. Ooh. One of the there we go. Things I have ever seen done on a trip. No, not quite there, mate. Uh, Smithy, over to you. Okay, so uh, just run that past me again. He retired at the age of 74 in 2010, did you say? Yep, in 2010 at the age of 74. And but generally, yeah, generally speaking, I'm trying to work out. I, I'm not sure uh, if you can be inducted into the Hall of Golf Hall of Fame if you're still currently playing. I'm not sure on the rules on that. So uh, I'm going to say um, straight after that, straight after that. But perhaps it could be an, it could have been a lot earlier because whether they class the seniors tour as part of that, I'm not too sure. So I'm going to say uh, 2011 straight afterwards, but with no confidence at all. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, so it was in 2008, two years before he uh, handed in his uh, bag, left it with the caddy and went home. Okay, so 2008. So uh, that makes you way to winner. Congratulations, mate. You have won, uh, not the sleep drops, but you've won the voucher from the TAB, 50 buck uh, bonus voucher from the TAB. So. Congratulations, mate. Uh, spend it wisely, spend it well, and uh, all the very best, and thanks for taking part today. Cheers, Smithy. Cheers. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, interesting. Yeah, well, I, I would have thought that if you were still registered on the PGA at some level that you couldn't go into the Hall of Fame, but I suppose um, if I look back over history, I, I, I'd imagine Jack Nicholas and those guys made it while they were still actively playing the game, so... A uh, bit of uh, faux pas there. It's 11.41 here on SENZ, and of course we'll have another stump smithy around 11.30 tomorrow morning as well. We'll be back shortly. Polaris has shiploads of vehicles arriving every month. Visit your local Polaris dealer today. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And it's 11.46, and uh, every week we give you a great opportunity to purchase a property courtesy of Bailey's. New Zealand's number one rural real estate company and no exception this week uh, we are highlighting uh, a multifaceted farm positioned in the highly regarded Golden Triangle north of Te Awamutu and brought to the market by Stuart Gudsell and Sharon Evans of Bailey's in Hamilton. 
scale, variety and position are the major draw cards at 254 Muir Road, which comprises 126 hectares more or less with real potential for change of use. Location is definitely your friend here with the property, not only an easy commute to Cambridge and just a short 20-minute drive away from Hamilton Airport, but also within an hour to the attractive gateway locations of Lake Taupo and Raglan, of course. The farm is well subdivided and raced with all-weather access to every paddock with a 20 ASHB dairy shed incorporating an in-shed meal feeding system and the numerous support buildings across the farm, including calf, implement, and storage barns. The soils are consolidated peat and provide a base that responds well to their regular fertiliser applications. The effluent disposal capability is a two-stage sand trap and bladder system, which is met by strategically placed irrigation hydrants to service approximately 40 hectares. On top of this, the prime positioning of the property's four-bedroom home and three-bedroom cottage means you can enjoy stunning views of both sunrise and sunset. Now, this farm has been a consistent producer under a share farming arrangement and will be attractive to those who want to continue with such a system or to others seeking to scale up and fully explore the yet-to-be-realised potential under an owner-operated system. So with options abounding and price by negotiation, check out baileys.co.nz forward slash 231 3208 to find out more about it or ring Stuart Gutzel and Sharon Evans at Bailey's in Hamilton. here at SENZ some texts have come on through Carl said hey Smithy if you did your own multi on the home NBA teams to win today it is paying more than the power play option now of course uh, Pitt Morris gave us that option uh, just prior to 11 o'clock so there's a tip from Carl Um, the NBA teams to to win all the home games today is paying more than the power play option that was suggested Uh, also uh, Mark from Mount Eden has come in and said uh, great interview with my mate Bruce Young uh, he's, he, he's a great dude, a great source of golf knowledge, he sure is. Uh, and amongst others, he carried bags for Bob Charles um, and, uh, sorry, Charles Lister, Shearer, Marsh in the, in the day. So, wow, uh, that is John Lister, Bob Charles, uh, Bob Shearer, of course, uh, Graham Marsh. So that is a, a heck of a group to be on the bag for, I'm sure. He set uh, some great memories of uh, those fantastic players. Incidentally, um, on the subject of Bob Charles and going into the Hall of Fame, which was part of Stump Smithy, uh, Jerry's coming in as well, and Jerry is quite right, of course. Uh, a fellow by the name of Mr. Tiger Woods was entered into the Hall of Fame earlier this year. Uh, not sure of the rules, uh, says Jerry, but he thinks he might deserve his spot as well. Which certainly did, and of course he then went on to play in the Masters, as uh, are going to play as well in various other PGA events and uh, majors throughout the year with a bit of luck. I'm not sure that they'll be able to lure him across to the LIV. That would be some sort of draw card, wouldn't it? Uh, but I think he'll lead the establishment, Tiger Woods. Um, but yeah, interesting there that um, you can get in, um, inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Golf Hall of Fame, if you're still currently playing. But I'll venture to say there would be exceptions there. Woods cl- clearly qualifies for that. Um, Nicholas would as well. 
but uh, you'd have to be pretty damn good as they are uh, to meet those exemptions. Uh, also, uh, talking of exemptions, um, and I read that this morning with interest because it was such a great story for a long period of time with Novak Djokovic uh, being banned from certain events, including the Australian Open. Well, uh, the All England Lawn Tennis Club has confirmed that there will be no COVID-19 measures in place at this year's tournament and vaccination will not be mandatory for players to participate, which now means that the Serbian world number one can defend his title. Players will also be allowed to stay in their own private accommodation, unlike the last edition when they all had to stay in a central London hotel to minimise the risks of COVID-19 infections. Djokovic, a 20-time major champion, of course, was uh, not accorded those privileges. In fact, it was so controversial that it got very ugly, didn't it? Uh, back earlier this year around the Australian Open time. It's uh, 11.51 here on SENZ and it's time to catch up with Staffy when we come just prior to midday. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.